You are now listening to The Living Numbers and Tony Rambles. Tony Rambles. Tony Rambles. 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 And The Living Numbers Podcast. Well, I got good. my phone here. Good. Well, you're a good friend. You're. You're. I'm sure he's glad he's got you in in his corner. Man, that's. I mean, that's one of my guys. It's like you know, there are some people. Every time you see them, it's like, I wish I could spend more time with you. Yeah, you're so great. You know, always smiling, great attitude. People. There are some people that everybody loves. Right. Like if you don't like that person, it's a you problem. It's probably <laughs> on you. So you you liked the, what I sent you so far, huh? I did. I think I think it's gonna be fun. Yes, yes. I just I just want it to be. It's, it's fast and loose, you know. So wherever wherever we go is wherever we go. I think those are the best conversations when you just feel the the authenticity through it. And you being someone who's who's done a lot of these, uh, I would say I'm pretty uh, comfortable with knowing that you know how to how to do this and do it well. I hope so. I, I mean, I, I try to be the best guest I can. I, I always try to get better. You know, I always learn, listen to my previous podcasts when they get released just to see, yes. you know, did that, was that story choppy? Was, how can I clean it up? How can I tighten it right. up? How, you know, so I, I try to do the best I can. You're always like a tweaking and trying to get better. That's the competitor in you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, it's, it's always wanting to be the best, you know, yes. I, I mean, you always want to, whatever you're doing, do the best, be responsible, you know, that kind of stuff. Yep. And he's like, well, let me go check the tape. Let me go. Let me go back and watch and do my film study. Exactly. <laughs> I know you're a big hoops guy. How tall are you officially? You want the smart Alec answer or the real answer? Both. So the smart Alec answer is 520. The real answer <laughs> is six foot eight. Okay, that's that's perfect. That's a perfect place to start. I'm this is gonna be good. I can, you know, I you know, you can tell within you know two minutes, and this is gonna be great. All right, here we go. This is the Living Numbers Podcast, and I am your host, Tony Rambles. Welcome to episode. 45. Can you guys believe I've been doing this for 45 episodes? It's actually like 48 because I got some part twos in there, but it's been a great journey. And I have a wonderful, wonderful guest here, Mr. Terry Tucker. But before he speaks, of course, we have to do an intro. And of course, we got to do some housekeeping. So make sure you guys and girls Follow the Living Numbers podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Breaker or Google or wherever. There's tons of places to listen. Just make sure you listen and you rate and review. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you throw some comment section below. Make sure you like, make sure you share all of those great things. Of course, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at underscore. Tony Rambles underscore. And you can email the show, one Tony Rambles at gmail.com. Now that we've got all of that great stuff out the way, I got to introduce our guest. 
Now, you guys are in for a treat. We've been talking for like, I don't know, maybe like five minutes or something. And this guy's amazing. He's amazing. He has an amazing story. He has an amazing journey. But I'll let him tell you. Okay, here we go. Here we go. This is like my favorite part of every podcast. All right. Hailing from Chicago, Illinois. He played his college ball at the Citadel, where he was known as the Jordan Stopper. He has a master's in criminal justice from Boston University, former police officer, marketing manager, girls basketball coach, and current cancer survivor. Man, that's a lot of stuff. He's done over 160 podcasts and radio interviews. He shared his story in multiple articles and news stories. He believes in the power of a good story to motivate inspire and help others lead their uncommon and extraordinary lives author motivational speaker and flat out great dude the hopeful the motivational the inspirational terry tucker here we go tony that was great i kind of feel like you should come out of the corner boxing or something like that you know (laughs) well you are a fighter and it's been that way for a long time based on my research uh so Give us like, I don't know, the short or the long version. Uh, where do, what is Terry Tucker's family? Uh, I know you have brothers. And uh, just, you know what? The floor, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I'm excited to be here. I think it's going to be fun talking with you. Yeah, grew up on the south side of Chicago. You can't tell this from looking at me or my voice, but I'm six foot eight <laughs> inches tall. And I played basketball at the Citadel. As you said, I've got a a brother who's six foot seven, who was a pitcher yeah. for the University of Notre Dame. Another brother who's six foot six, who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers, the National Basketball Association. And then my mm. dad was six five. So I sort of joke that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayers chance you were going to see anything that was going <laughs> on because, you know, you, you couldn't see over. But our five foot eight inch mother was the boss. You know, it didn't matter how big, tall, yeah. strong we were. Whatever mom said, that's the way it went. Um, graduated from the Citadel, moved home to find a job. I am much older than you are. So the internet was not available to me when I was looking for a job. Fortunately, I find that found that first job corporate headquarters of Wendy's international, the hamburger chain in their marketing department. Unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. I won't touch on my professional career because you've already kind of mentioned that. I guess I'll just round it out by saying that my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. The Space Force. Like uh, like (laughs) the first thing I thought of was um, his name. His real name's not Michael Scott, but um, the show is on Netflix. Yeah, Stephen Carell. The, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's People on the Space the Force don't like that show. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine. But like my favorite thing that he's done is the big short, though. Yeah. Oh, he's had oh, a great man. career. Yeah. That guy. So if you just watch The Office or like 30-year-old version, you don't really know how versatile that guy is as far as like the different roles that he can do, how talented he is. He's so awesome. Yes, yes. He, 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 he makes he makes. I mean, I had a laugh at a lot of things in that Space Force documentary. I mean, it was just 
I mean, my daughter wasn't real happy with it, but I mean, I think even she laughed at some of the stuff. <laughs> okay, so you said you have two other brothers, right? I do. Who's the best athlete? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, we all excelled in different things. I, I mean, I was probably the better athlete, but then I had three knee surgeries. And so that ended okay. up, you know, my middle brother who was drafted by the Cavaliers. Um, Not PJ Tucker. Yeah, very good athlete. And then my youngest brother, my youngest brother, kind of a funny story. You, you mentioned, you know, the Michael Jordan stopper or killer or whatever you said <laughs> about that. My youngest brother who pitched for Notre Dame was uh, still is a basket. He's a basketball coach in Barrington, Illinois, but he was a basketball coach at uh, Loyola Academy in Chicago. Yeah. Tell the story. And he coached Michael Jordan's two sons. And so he said, you know, one day I'm at practice and it's toward the end of practice and I'm teaching the players a new play. And he said, all of a sudden I look up and nobody's paying attention to anything that I'm saying. Mm. And so I look over where they're, where they're looking and, and it was the door. It was the door to come into the gym. And Jordan had come in, Michael Jordan had come into the gym as a dad to take it, you know, to yeah. pick up his kids and take them home. Yeah. And my brother looked at him and said, hey, Michael, you're a little bit of a distraction. You know, would you <laughs> mind stepping out, you know, in the hall until practice was over? And Jordan and his wife were both super people. They didn't try to mm. micromanage or, or, you know, try to coach the team or anything. And he was like, right. sure, coach, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to be a distraction. I'll wait outside to practice is over. And my brother later thought, you know, I'm probably the only coach in the history of basketball that ever kicked Michael Jordan out of practice. So. <laughs> man, that's a great story. I remember, cause I'm listening to other stuff, which you want it. I'm like, Oh man, this dude is electric, man. He could, he could tell any story. And uh, I mean, that is like, things can just come full circle because didn't you play against Jordan? I think that was a story that I heard as well. Right. It, it, it did. And, and I mean, this is kind of a it's, it's not really a fair kind of situation. But but when I was a senior, it was Jordan's freshman year, senior in college, mm -hmm. Jordan's freshman mm -hmm. year at North Carolina. And they held a tournament. They called it the North South Doubleheader. Yep. It was held yep. in the Charlotte Coliseum. And they took two teams from the state of North Carolina, which happened to be North Carolina and North Carolina State, and two right. teams from the state of South Carolina, which happened to be my school, the Citadel and Furman. Mm -hmm. And we played around <laughs> Robin because North Carolina and North Carolina State are in the same conference and the Furman and the Citadel are in the same conference. So on Friday night, we played against Michael Jordan and, and North Carolina, James Worthy, Sam Perkins, Dean Smith was the coach. And that was 1982. That was the year yeah. that North Carolina went on to win the national championship. And then mm -hmm. Saturday night, we played against Jim Balvano and the North Carolina State team who the following yeah. year, 1983, they would go on to win the national yeah. championship. So in the course of one weekend, I was fortunate enough to play against two national championship teams, which was yeah. just an absolute blast. Yeah, I could uh, imagine. And then like where you, when you were playing those guys, did it ever feel like, oh, these guys are going to be like superstars because they're in like different stages and you're in a different stage, right? You're a senior in college. You probably feel like, you're okay. So was it immediately noticeable that these guys were different? I mean, they were certainly better than us. I, I mean, there, <laughs> there was, there was no doubt about that. Although I, I, I you know, in full disclosure, we were winning at halftime against North Carolina. So I, I, I yeah. let that just kind of hang there and to bad the game didn't end then. I, I mean, Jordan was not the Jordan that we all know now. I mean, he was yeah. a freshman 
you know, he was still, you know, getting his sort of sea legs underneath him and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, James Worthy, Sam Perkins, those were the those were the upperclassmen. Those were the guys yeah, that, you yeah. know, were really the good players. But then Jordan developed. I think he hit that shot almost at the buzzer in the national championship game. And I think that started, the uh, you know, the ball rolling to what Michael Jordan right. is today. Right. So, OK, uh, back to your brothers. I asked that question because I have a lot of brothers. And I know you've got all, like 14 brothers and sisters, don't you? That is See, hey, I, list, I do my homework too. <laughs> <laughs> and we all uh, feel like that we're pretty good athletes. And I feel like my dad is the best athlete out of all of us. Now, obviously none of us seen him play, but uh, he had tryouts with a couple of major league teams. He played college football at Eastern Michigan. We've seen pictures like he was jacked. And so we're like, okay, maybe in my mind, I'm like, maybe he's first, but I'm pretty sure I'm second. I'm pretty sure I'm second out of, out of everybody else because I'm like, man, like fluidity of the hips, you know, not just playing football, if, but if we were to play basketball or tennis or something else, I feel like I'd be able to adapt faster than the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, my brothers and I, we've had this discussion, you know, if we knew of course. today – you know, about the, 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 the training techniques, the, the mindset techniques that we did not have, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when we were, you know, kids kind of coming up. I mean, we would have been so much better athletes if we knew what oh, we yeah. do today. And that, and, and so, I mean, we don't, I mean, it, it's always a blast when the three of us get together. I mean, oh, our man. house is literally, I mean, if you're sitting at the table and you say pass a roll, a role may actually be thrown at you. You know, I mean, that's kind of, yeah, you exactly. Play action you know, going. Like, you here you go, catch this. You know, what? <laughs> you know, mom and dad would have none of it, but, you know, as, as boys now, I mean, we're all, we're all adults and, and, and have careers and we all have master's degrees and things like that. But it, it's, it's just fun to get together and recount yes. the stories. Do you remember? And I'm sure you do it with your brothers and sisters. Oh, you know, all the time. Do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when that happened? Yeah, it's a blast. We used to just, like, so we had this house and it was, I mean, it was pretty big. And there was like from the front door to the back door was a throughway. And then if you look up, there's like a, like a catwalk, right? Where the upstairs is. And so, man, we would, when the parents leave, we would just break the football out and just right down the hallway from front door to back door. I mean, we could spend an hour and a half just throwing the football. And, you know, you try to get it over. You try not to hit the chandelier. I mean, it was just bonkers when me and my brothers, and even now, like you just said, whenever we get together, there's always going to be a point where we're outside throwing a football. Like, no question. There's always a football in somebody's trunk at somebody's house. Uh, or, and don't let there be, like, a basketball rim or go around. Now, if we're just going to talk about basketball, I think, I got a brother that's 6'3". So clearly he's the tallest of all of us. I've never played basketball with him. He doesn't really play basketball anymore, which to me is just unfortunate. But, you know, you can't help what you love. But I got another brother. He's about 5'10". And man, I think D'Lo is six years younger than I am. But when you talk about skilled athlete, that dude is so skilled. But I'm going to get to our first number. And since we're talking about sports, we're going to stay there. Our first number is four, four years.
because you coached four years of girls basketball. And I'm also currently a coach, girls basketball coach. And this year I also coached softball, which was pretty fun. So I would say you being an athlete yourself, playing college basketball, just compare and contrast the different, I guess, eras of what that looks like. Cause you came up at a very different time than it was when you were coaching. So what were the differences between the two times? I, I mean, girls in general. I, I mean, if you think about it, I grew up with two brothers. I have no sisters. I went to an all-guys Catholic high school in Chicago. Oh, I went to yeah. an all-male military school. The Citadel, when I went there, was all-male. It's now co-ed. But I went to an all-male military school. So when my wife and I were pregnant, you know, and we went to the OBGYN, it's like, you know, do you want to know what you're having? We we're like, yeah, sure. And, you know, she's like, well, you should buy pink. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You need to leave it in there till it's done. I have no idea <laughs> what to do with a girl. And my daughter, our daughter got my height and she's six foot two and actually went to the Air Force Academy to play mm. basketball. She was recruited there to play, nice. played her freshman year, blew out her knee, had surgery. And, and that was the end of that. But still, you know, I, I guess the difference between boys and girls, you know, men mm -hmm. and women, girls play sports for a different reason than men. Not that they don't want to win and not that they're not competitive. Right. They are, but they, they're in it for the relationships, the camaraderie and things mm -hmm. like that. And, and I'll give you a, I'll give you an interesting story. So I, I'm coaching, we're right in the middle of a game and I turn to the bench and I point to one of the players and I'm like, go in for so-and-so. And she nods yes. And so, you know, I figure, you know, she's going to take her uniform or her warm up top off and go over to the scores table. So I turn back around to watch the game and I kind of glance out of the side of my eye at the scores table and there's nobody there. So I turn back around and I look at her and I'm like, you know, get in the game. You yeah, know, she go. gives me another nod and, you know, I'm like, okay, I turn back around. What's going on? And I corner my eye again. There's nobody at the scores okay. table. I'm like, I look at her and I'm like, what's the problem? I said, get in the game. Now she's shaking me off like a major league pitcher shaking off a catcher <laughs> for the sign. They're like, that's, I don't like that. No, no, that's, give me another one. You know, so she's shaking off the sign. I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? We're right in the middle of a game. There's a game yes. going on on the floor. So I bring her to where I am and I, you know, we're face to face, eye to eye. You know, eye contact yeah. was very important to me. You know, we're not, we're not talking to each other with our heads down. We're looking eye yeah. to eye and we're being honest with each other. I'm like, what's going on? Why won't you go in the game? All of a sudden, the tears start to come down oh. the cheeks. And I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I don't want to play. I'm like, there are no uniform wearers on this team. You don't get just to put a uniform on and sit on the bench. Man. I need you in the game. And yeah. she's like, well, I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake. And my friends in the stands are going to, are going to make fun of me. I said, what about your teammates? What about the, the girls on the bench here that you work every day in practice to become better yourself yeah. and to make them better. And I, I mean, I, I'm doing psychology one-on-one right in the middle of a game, you know, in the middle of a game. literally feet from us. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. I need to be coaching and figure out what's <laughs> going on. Eventually got her to the point where I was able to get her to focus on these mm. girls need you as much as you think the girls in the stands who are your friends are going to make fun of you. They need you. And I got her, to, I convinced her to go in the game. Yeah. She made a couple mistakes. I mean, Right. You know, what's basketball? It's a game of, yeah. of mistakes. Whoever makes the fewest usually wins the game, you know? And so I, that was something I was so foreign. That was so foreign to me. I'm like, you know, 
practice during the week was, you know, I want to do good enough. So the coach wants to play me in the game. And when my time comes, I want to be ready. This was, yeah. I don't want to get in the game. I'm like, I've, I've never experienced never. that as a player or a coach in, in my entire life. So it was, uh, yeah. it was certainly a learning experience for me as well as I'm sure it was for that player. Man, it's, it's so different. Like you said, cause guy, you know, guys were all about competition and, yeah. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to rip that guy's heart out across right. from me, you know, obviously not literally, but you know, I'm going at that person, you know, and even if I'm not the best player on the team, I'm going to find a way, you know, to make a difference. But, and I've experienced that as well, where you go, Hey, you know, come on, you know, so-and-so you're in the game. And it's like, they don't, they don't want it. They don't want like, wait, you're on the team. What are you doing? Like, aren't you here to play? And sometimes not really. It's just they like maybe like the other girls on the team, like being a right. part of it. Right. Maybe does like the physical aspect of being active. But when it comes to the competition part, it's like mm, not so much. And it's like that that just boggles my brain sometimes, just like you. And what can you do? You got to, you got to talk them down. You got to, you got, <laughs> you got to go, you know what? It's okay to make mistakes. You know, as long right. as you're playing hard and, you know, doing your best and blah, blah, blah. You know, you try, you re, you really try to go, I, I really need you in the game. Cause this person in here, they need a, they need a break. <laughs> they need a breather and you're the best we got. So, you know, I got to try to figure out how to get in your head right. to get you ready and prepped to actually jump in the game and compete. Well, it makes me feel better to know that you had the same experience, that it wasn't just something unique to me. So I, I, you know, not at all. What did you do? How did you, what, what did you say to get the person to play? Uh, It was the same thing. Like, Hey, don't worry about mistakes. Don't worry about mistakes. Just go in there and play hard and we can live with the rest, right? Go play hard and be aggressive. Like if you get the ball and you want to shoot, you feel like you're open, shoot the ball. It's okay. Cause I think that's the biggest thing where some people, especially when you have people that have a lower skill level, they go, well, like, what do I do when the ball gets to my hands? Like, I don't want the ball in my hands. I can run around and be a distraction. But when the ball gets to my hands, like the eyes are on me, the pressure's on me. I'm like, hey, just, it's okay if you make a mistake, you know, just be aggressive, you know, play hard. Like, that's, that's really all that I can ask from you. And we know our players, you know, when, you know, when you put so-and-so in the game, like, okay, like this, this could be good or it could be really bad. And it's probably going to be really bad, but you know, everybody's on the team for a reason and you want everybody to feel like they're valued. And a lot of times there are opportunities, even for those players who are, aren't great to get in the game and still have an impact. I heard, so, uh, I heard Gino Oriama, the coach of Connecticut, the women's coach yeah. of Connecticut say one time, he said, you know, I always tell my players, I'll treat you fairly, but I'm not treating you equally, you know, because right. you have certain skills. I have certain skill. I, I, I remember I, I was lucky enough to be recruited uh, when I was in high school by Mike Szczeski, Coach K, when he was at Army. And mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, he was just a, a super guy back then. And, I, you know, I mean, it's been years, obviously, since yeah. I talked to him. But I remember the story he tells about Bobby Knight when Bobby Knight was his coach uh, at West Point you know, before Knight went on to Indiana and he told Mm -hmm. Szczeski, you know, you're my point guard. Don't shoot the ball. If you shoot the ball, you'll be sitting on the bench. 
You know, wow. and it's like, wait a minute, this is D1 basketball. You know, and you're telling your point guard not to shoot the ball. And I think that goes back to what you were just saying and what Oriam is saying. I'll treat you fairly, but I'm not treating you equally. There are certain people yeah. that I want to shoot. There are certain people that like, I, like you said, I'll just run around and be a distraction, but I don't want them <laughs> touching the ball, you know? So, yeah, I, I mean, you have to understand your players. You have to know your players, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And then you have to play to those to try to be as successful as you can. And I think, and you touched on it, like the thing that is understated is like, I think mind games is really difficult, but the psychology that a coach has to play because some people need a different kind of talking to, right. In order to get them to the place where they need to be. Some people, they really need to be, it's really soft. And then some people to to get the best out of them, you got to be a little hard. You really got to challenge them. You got to go after them. And, and I'm not saying like disrespect them or curse at them because I'm not a curser. Even as a coach, I've never cursed at my players because that's just not who I am. But I will get after them and, you know, challenge them in ways for them to be able to step up because I think that's what some people need. And others, it has to be like more encouraging, like, hey, your team needs you. You know, we we need you to go and do this and blah, blah, blah. So uh man coaching is is very psychological it's a very mental game even from the coach's standpoint even though I can't I'm always wanting to get in there and play <laughs> I'm still yeah. a player in yeah. my mind but, I mean if but what you're talking about translates to business it's just as well you know yes. you as a coach know that this player I need to get right in their face and yell at them to be productive that player I need to encourage this player, I don't need to say a word to because they'll be yep. harder on themselves than I'll be on yes. them at all. Absolutely. And that same dynamic works as a boss. You have to know your people. You know, there may be people where it's like, you know, hey, Tucker, you totally screwed that up. You better get your act together. Yeah. Okay. Versus they just need to look at you. Tucker's going to be harder on himself than he's going to be, yep. you know, that I'm going to be on him yep. versus the Tucker that, hey, look, you know what? Yeah, you kind of messed that up. Here's what you need to do to be better. I know you can do it. Go out there and do it. But I mean, think about that. I mean, it's not yeah. a one size all. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work as a team when you're the coach. It doesn't work that way when you're the boss. You have to understand your players and, and really what motivates them. What kind of guy are you? Are you one of those guys that need to be like antagonized or are you harder on yourself? Like which, where do you fall in? On the, oh, I'm, on the I'm, I'm harder on myself than a coach will ever be on me. I, I mean, I, yeah. I expect perfection out of everything I do. And I, I, I even put this in my book. I, I Vince Lombardi, when he took over the green Bay Packers, uh, the Packers were terrible. And I remember he, he brought every, all the players together and he, he, and I'm going to mess it up a little bit, but he said, gentlemen, we are going to relentlessly per, per, pursue perfection knowing full well that we'll never catch it, but along the wow. way, we'll catch excellence. You know, nice. so I, I, I love that line. And, and that was me. I always wanted to be perfect, knowing full well that I was never going to be perfect, but I always yes. wanted to be that way. So you didn't have to say anything to me. I, I know I messed up. I know I'll do better the next time. So you don't have to say anything. I, I got it. Did you ever have a boss that, that didn't understand you in that way and did it the wrong way? for you and it just it never really clicked for you like with with that boss or that coach not necessarily with coaches I I was very fortunate that the coaches I had were were really good in Chicago and and I I played for Les Robinson at the Citadel who as far as I know is still the only person who was 
the Division I coach at three schools and also the athletic director at those Division I schools. Wow. So he was, yeah. he was coach and athletic director at the Citadel, coach and athletic director at East Tennessee State, and coach and athletic director at North Carolina State. He took over for Valvano when Valvano got in trouble. But I did in – there were certain bosses I just didn't click with, and I don't know if it was – you know, yeah, you're an athlete and I've never been an athlete. And so I, I, you know, I don't like you just because of, I'm like, I haven't done anything. I haven't even started work. You know, right. you don't like me already, you, you know, I just so, yeah, here. But, yeah, but that's, that's as much my responsibility as it is the boss. You know, I, I mean, yeah. I can't just sit back and say, Oh, he doesn't like me. That's why I'm not successful. I got to figure out a way to be successful based mm-hmm. on the way he is going to be my supervisor because I mean, let's face it, he is. And I, you know, yeah. I can quit or I can figure out a way to make it work. Man, I love that. And obviously, like life is not black and white. There are some gray areas, but there are some black and white areas too, where either you got to figure it out or you got to go do something else. Really, yeah. if if you if you put it to yourself in those terms, you're gonna have to choose one. <laughs> and I'm not back to the question, I'm not one of those people as well that needs somebody to yell and bark. I've, n- I've always hated that because like you said, like I'm going to be hard on myself. Like, trust me, I want to be the best. Like no matter what it is, whether it's basketball or checkers or being a teacher or making a podcast, like, I want my, my name is on this. So I want it to be awesome. So but did you I've, have I've teammates never, that that did need that? That did need the yeah. I got to yell and scream at them. Yeah, yeah, and that's great. And I think it's the coach's job to know and understand who needs what, especially when you're talking about working with teenagers, like like we like I do and you did working with teenagers. Like they don't always even know. Uh, so for me, I'm like, just don't don't yell at me. I don't think I've I had a coach. And I played football in high school. And, you know, that's a more rah-rah, macho. I got to yell That's an emotional game. Yeah, absolutely. They got to know I'm the boss and all that kind of stuff. So I mostly had coaches that would yell at me. (laughs) (laughs) And I hated it. I hated every second of it. Uh, So I've always thought about that now that I've transitioned into being a coach, that I wasn't going to be that person, berating person, even when I'm, uh, in a, a leader pu- leadership position, no matter if it's coaching or if it's something else, I'm not going to be that person that is just going crazy on people. I'm always trying to figure out how people tick, like, okay, how can I get the best out of this person? What do I need to do here with that, with that person, with this person? So, man, it's, it's, this is life, right? It is. So I want to move into your four truths because I found these I mean, very, again, very simple to understand, but not always easy to do. And my brother who has a, who had kids before I did, he has two girls. And he said that man parenting a lot of time is very simple, but it's not easy where you know what to do, but can you consistently do it? over a long period of time like you know you you know you shouldn't pick up the child every time they scream but sometimes you just go come here let me take care of it so let's jump into your four truths that's our next number here 
And um, it's first control your mind or it will control you. Number two is embrace the pain and discomfort we all experience in life and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. Really like that. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And number four is as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Now, these are probably like children where you don't have a favorite, but I'm going to ask you, okay, which one do you most identify with on a daily basis? I think the first one, uh, and I think I, I started to identify with that much younger in life. Uh, when I was in high school, I had three knee surgeries. And I remember when I went back playing basketball after those knee surgeries, my mind was putting all this kind of negative garbage into my, mm, my mm-hmm. thoughts, you know, things like, Hey, uh, yeah, you're probably a step slower since, you know, you had these surgeries and college coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite yeah. level and college coaches are still reaching out about the possibility of playing for their school. So I realized kind of early on that I needed to change the narrative. I need to sort of flip the yeah. switch in my mind, you know, and if you think about it, our, our minds can hold one thought at a time. Now it, it's estimated that on any given day, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts that, that pass through cycling. our brains, many of which we don't even pay attention to, you know, they, they, they're in, they're out, they're gone. But if you think about it, you know, our mind can hold one thought at a time. Why would you want to make that a negative thought? And I remember, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we were talking about Bobby Knight a minute ago. When I was in high school, uh, I played in the same conference with a guy by the name of Isaiah Thomas, who went on to play wow. for Knight at Indiana and, and then played for the Pistons. Yeah, Detroit basketball, baby. Yeah. And so, I mean, he and I would see each other in the summer, you know, when we would come home and, and I would ask him, you know, what was Knight like? And, you know, he's like, he loves his players, great guy. But Knight had a saying, very simple saying, and it went like this, mental is to physical as four is to one. So here's this great coach, you know, probably one of the greatest coaches of all time, teaching premier athletes, you know, that Indiana had got some of the best talent in, in the country, how to use mm-hmm. their bodies to be great basketball players. But what he was really saying with that quote is that your mind or your mindset is four yeah. times more important than your physical body is. So I would say, number one, you know, being able to control your mind, flipping that switch, making something positive out of something negative, because I think that permeates the rest of the truths. You know, if you don't control right. your mind, the rest of that. You're not going to embrace apart. pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you how do you control your mind? Like, I know you have a book with all of these great things in it. And I'm not going to ask you to give away everything, but let's just talk about one. And how do you control your mind? How do you do it? Yeah, my book's called Sustainable Excellence, The 10 mm-hmm. Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And it's always fun for me as the author because people will read the book and there's always one truth. Each chapter is a principle. There's always one principle that resonates with the reader. And I wrote them all, but there's one that resonates with me. And it's this one. Most people, and I've done this, that's why it resonates with me. I've done it a lot. Most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. I know I've done that. I've no other, you know, there was something in my life. I think I should do that. Ooh, maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I'm not talented enough. What will people say about me? What will people think about me if I fail? That's thinking with your fears and your insecurities instead of saying, you know, using your mind, like this would be a good thing for me to do. And I should do it. But we get held back 
because our, what we think with is our fears and our insecurities instead of using our minds. And you go like, I think once you kind of get over that and you start to ask yourself like, well, why not? Like, what, I mean, what happens if I succeed? And you go, oh crap, huh? This, this could be pretty good actually. And so like uh, one of the questions that I asked myself, cause I, I, I love this control your mind. I love it. I love it because it's so important. Like you said, four to one, like Bobby and I referenced and I go, okay, let's see. What's the worst that could happen if I do this? And you go, oh, okay. What are the consequences if this happens? Okay. Like, can I deal with that? You know, and this obviously is when you're making decisions that could have some negative impact. And a lot of times those decisions that we, that we make, there's not a whole lot of downside. Right. So if I make a podcast and it sucks, like I could just stop making it. Who cares? <laughs> but if I make a podcast and it's awesome and people love it, now what kind of doors are opening? Now what kind of people am I able to meet? So I go, okay, wait a second. Like the upside is way better than the downside. So let's just do it. And oftentimes what I tell people, and I had a kid come to me and he's like, you know, Mr. Franklin, like he's a senior. And he's like, I have a, a, a sibling that's doing amazing things. And it basically comes down to is he's kind of afraid to graduate high school and see what's next. And so my thing was to him, okay, what is step one? Let's figure out step one. Let's just figure out what that next step is, okay? And then let's focus on that. And once we take care of step one, okay, what's step two? What's step three? So we kind of compartmentalize what's going to happen. Because sometimes thinking of the big picture is too much for some people. Some people need to have the big picture, right? We're, we're all so intricate, man. We're so difficult as people. <laughs> I mean, we are. And, and you, you're absolutely right. And I think you made an incredibly important point. You know, I mean, let's take somebody who say, you know, I want to be a better salesman. You know, they're a salesman in, in some company. Now, that is a huge thing to right. wrap your head around. Yeah. But instead of doing, instead of doing that, what if you said to yourself, I want to get 1% better at sales every day. So yep. at the end of 30 days, you're 30% better than when you started. At the end of 90 days, at the end of one quarter of the year, you're 90% better at sales than when you started. It kind of goes back to that old joke, you know, how do you eat the elephant? One bite at a time. One you know, bite at I a mean, time. yeah, if, if you, you, you know, you can't wrap your head around, I want to be better at sales, but you can wrap your head around I want to be 1% better at sales today and then 1% yep. better tomorrow and 1% better the next day. That's much easier to handle and yeah. to understand than some great big goal. And I think another right. thing that you, that you talked about, and, and I think this is important, and we always talk about, you know, we want to set goals. We want to set, what we don't do before we set goals is determine our values. You know, what do we value? What's important to us? What am I willing yeah, to die yeah. for? You know, what am I willing you know, to lay it all on the line for. And once you mm -hmm. understand your values, it's much easier to set your goals based on yeah. what you believe in your heart are, are important to you. But we, we yeah. don't do that a lot. We say, okay, we got to set goals. Well, if you don't know what you stand for, if you don't know what, what you goal? value, it's hard to set goals. It's hard to set goals that are achievable that you're willing to sacrifice for. Absolutely. I went through uh, this training called Unique through my church. And so- everything like my voice is, is, is who I am. Like that's, that's my, my, my moneymaker, I guess you could say. 
And so I started to go, okay, how can I use my voice in order to make an impact? Uh, because I had already been doing some stuff. Like I, I was a teacher. Well, I am a teacher and I teach speech. I mean, that just lines up perfectly. And so then uh, I sing at my church. That's another thing. Okay. And so when I'm looking at stuff that I want to do, I'm like, okay, does it line up with who I am and what I do? Like if I were to go out and try to be a mathematician or tutor people in math, like that's not my thing. Like that is, that is not who I am. Like we start talking about algebra and calculus, no deal. But if we're talking about speaking in front of people or building relationships, asking questions, that kind of thing, that's what I do. So now when I start to make a goal, I have to go, does it line up with who I am and what I do? If the answer is yes, okay, now here we go again. What's step one? <laughs> you want to start a podcast? Okay, what do you need? I need, a, I need a mic. All right, let's get a mic. You need a, do you want to do camera? Do you want to do video? At first it was no, like heck no. I don't want to deal with editing. I've done that before. Answer was no. Okay, so let's get a mic. Let's get a program. Okay, what is it going to be about? I'm not sure. Okay, let's, but that that's totally fine. But you have to ask yourself these questions. You have to start to come up with some answers. And eventually you go, well, crap. Well, look at this. The Living Numbers podcast, we're almost 50 episodes in just by following step one and then step two. So like you said, let's try to make life into like these little bite-sized pieces in one piece at a time. Oh, that's good, right? That was good. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. We're going to shift to something that's uh, kind of very difficult in our society. So last weekend, there were a ton of uh, shootings and people were injured and many people uh, passed away. Uh, and that number came out to be 14 and there were 43 injured. Those are our numbers here. And so from from shooting. in one weekend that's staggering to really think about so my question to you is because you are in a police officer when you get that call what happens next ring 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 there's been a, a shooting at this place what what happens next how does that how does that work you develop a plan so i i was a policeman in cincinnati um mm -hmm. Cincinnati runs pretty much single person cars. Uh, they run double cars in areas that are um, more violent, you know, more drugs, more guns, things like that. Myself and my partner, we were, we were a double car. So we got all the, the hot runs, the shootings, the stabbings, the, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So the first thing you do is you develop a plan. Okay, where is this? And how do, what's the safest way to get there? You know, right. I mean, when I was on the SWAT team, you would, you know, when you were going to a call, they would give you the directions and they would tell you what streets to avoid because you don't want to go yeah. right by the place, you know, where, where the guy's shooting out the window or something like that. So, you know, you, the first thing you do is have to, how are we getting there? What's, what's the safest way to get there? And, and, and that's the thing you got to remember. It's all about safety for us because, you know, I mean, on, on a, I'm almost, every police car you see, there's the motto to protect and serve. Well, that's the motto of the police department. I, I, I hate to tell you this. That's not <laughs> Here's what the motto is. At the end of your shift, everybody who Damn came on. to work with you goes home as good or better than when they came to work. That's our motto. That's what we do. I mean, me getting shot and killed, that doesn't help anybody. I, I buried right. way too many police officers. 
So the first thing you do, we're coming up with a plan. How are we getting there? And then once we get there, what are we doing? You know, are we securing the scene? Do we know who the shooter is? Is the shooter gone? Is the, you know, whatever that, that ends up being, because we need to be, I mean, if, if I get shot, I'm no good to anybody. And now right. I'm just another casualty. Yeah. I'm just another casualty to that incident. So we, we get there and, and, and this is the other thing, and this is going to sound bad, especially if you're a bystander. I don't know who the shooter is. I, you know, we may not know who the, who the shooter is. So when I get there, I may point my gun at you and tell you to get out on the ground. And I may handcuff you and you have absolutely nothing to do with this. But right. put yourself in my shoes. I don't know that. I don't just do what I ask you to do. Yes. Wait till the scene gets under control. And once the scene's under control, we'll sort things out. Those handcuffs come off just as easily as they go on. And, and, mm, and I think- good. As police officers, a lot of times we're our own worst enemy because we don't mm. explain why we do what we did. I, my, my white partner and I ran an entirely black neighborhood for four and a half years, led our relief in almost every category and never got complained on because we knew how to talk to people. You know, if I yeah. pull you over at three o'clock in the morning, you know, in a blue Dodge and, you know, I go up to you. And you're not the person I'm looking for because a blue Dodge just committed a home invasion. Right. It's incumbent upon me because you're going to want to know as the driver, why'd you pull me over? Well, exactly. I pulled you over because your vehicle matches the description of a home invasion. You are not the person. Thank you for cooperation. You're free to go have a safe night. Now you can mm -hmm. live with that versus, oh, just shut up and go on. I don't need to tell you. Right. Ooh. I don't need to tell you why I pulled you over, but why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I help you understand why I was doing my job? It, it's not personal. It's not because you're black. It's not because, you know, I'm looking for dope. It's because your vehicle matched the description of a vehicle we're looking for. You're not the person. Yep. Thank you for your cooperation. Have a safe night. You're free to go. That's Man, easy. And that, that communication, just that little explanation, I mean, it makes a huge difference, a massive difference between I hate police officers because they screw with people. And man, that cop was cool. I have no issues with police officers because I've, I've had times where um, I've been pulled over and it was completely my fault. And the cop goes, hey, you know what? Don't worry about it. Get it taken care of. Have a nice day. And you go, wow, wait a second. And, and I had way more of those interactions, thankfully, then the one incident that I had where a police officer I felt like was screwing with me and my brother, you know, so it is very difficult. And sometimes we focus on the negative things that have happened instead of all of the great positive interactions and the great positive people. Like I got pulled over from my inspection sticker being out uh, or registration. I'm sorry. And the guy's like, you know, what's going on? Like, how come you haven't gotten your sticker? And I'm like, my check engine light's on. He's like, you know what it is? I said, I mean, he said, O2 sensor. I said, I think so. He said, man, I know how to fix that. And so we had this nice conversation where the guy tells me how to fix my O2 sensor, lets me go, warning, no big deal, and you go on your way. And I feel like the more interactions we have about like that, the more we talk about those kind of good things that happen, the more you can kind of shift the narrative, uh, hopefully, uh, between, you know, what the public perception is and what is actually happening. 
as, you know, as a police officer and when people have these interactions. So you were a police officer for how many years? 10. 10 years. And you also were on the SWAT team and you were an investigator as well, correct? I was an undercover narcotics investigator and I was on the SWAT team as a hostage negotiator. Which one of those... This this question may sound ridiculous, but which one of those were the was the most difficult? Um, I mean, they were both difficult in their own ways. Obviously, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I was not I was not terribly comfortable with buying drugs, although I did it. I mean, my forte was more developing a case. You know, maybe somebody mm-hmm. would call in and say, "Hey, they're selling dope out of this house." I would sit on the house, I'd watch it. I might, you know, you, you know, when you see somebody pull up, go in for 30 seconds and come out and leave, and then another car come, you know, do the same thing that that would tell me, okay, maybe they right. probably are buying dope. I'm going to pull over one of these cars and see if I can talk my way into that car, if I can, you know, find drugs. Okay, now I've got you on a charge. Would you be willing to work your case off by having yeah. me wire you up, giving you more money, going back in and buying dope? If that's the case. Yes, you will. We, we monitor that whole thing. We, we have a visual on it. We do it. You bring me back the dope. It tests positive for dope. I type up a search warrant, get a judge to sign it and get my, my friends on the SWAT team to kick in the door and, and do that. Wow. That's what I enjoyed. I enjoyed the hunt. I enjoyed putting mm-hmm. the case together. It, you know, it wasn't so much getting the bad guy and getting the dope off the street. It was the hunt. Right. I, I enjoyed doing that. The, the SWAT team. It was the part, game plan. Yeah. Yeah, you are. I mean, you're figuring it out. You're, you know, hey, yeah, no, I don't have it yet. You know, we're going to have to wait a little longer, you know. And, and, and like you say, I'm competitive, you know, so I, I want to get you and I want to get you now. But sometimes you have to have patience and kind of sit back yeah, yeah. and be like, mm, no, not today. It's not going to happen. Maybe next week, maybe next month. But it'll happen eventually if I just stay consistent with what I know yeah. how to do. The, the SWAT team part of it was it was emotionally exhausting. Because you had to deal with an individual who was in crisis. And let's face it, if you're talking to me, you're probably having the worst day of your life. And, you know, your house is surrounded by the police. You're talking to to a negotiator on the phone. And, you know, one of the things we had to do was we're we're developing a relationship, you know, just like a parent or a child or a husband, a wife Mm -hmm. or a boss and a subordinate. You're developing a relationship with that. person. And now that person may be a homicide suspect. They may have committed murder. They may, you know, whatever. But you still have to develop a relationship. And you yeah. have to get down in the mud with those people. You know, you, I mean, if they're yelling and screaming and they're, they're just pissed as hell, you can't say, oh, you seem a little upset. You've totally missed what they're doing. You've totally missed yeah. what they're saying to you. So you got to get down in the, in the weeds. You got to get down in the mud with those people. And when you do that for two hours, three hours, four hours, five, you are yeah. exhausted. Speed. You are mentally spent. So they each had their own different, you know, uh, stressors and that, but I I had fun doing both of them. Man. So you've done, you've done so much. (laughs) You've had like this life where you've touched so many different areas and so many different people, I'm sure. And so our next number here is a hundred dollars. And I read this article where these people have retired on a cruise ship and it basically cost them a hundred dollars a day. So Mr. Tucker, 
my my first thought is this dude will never retire. He'll probably work and do whatever it is that he loves until his last days. But hypothetically speaking, because <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. I'm like, if I love what I'm doing, why would I stop doing? Why would I stop doing that? Um, it's not work. Yeah. Hypothetically speaking, if you were to retire, what would ideal retirement look like for you? Like, what would be the setting? Like, where would you be? The people that's around, what would that look like? I mean, family's always been a big part of it. So I, I think my family would, would be there in some capacity. Um, mm. I mean, I've lived in Santa Barbara, California, which I think is one of the most beautiful places um, it, certainly in the United States, it never gets hot. It never gets cold. It rarely rains. I mean, it's just an absolutely beautiful place. Uh, I loved living in, in Charleston, South Carolina. I, I mean, but Charleston's humid. They got all kinds of bugs and stuff like that. But I, but I really enjoyed that. I would probably retire in Santa Barbara, although I'm not a big fan of California. So, I, I mean, that would be a hard thing to do. Um, I would have my family around and I would probably spend some type of time every day uh, volunteering in some kind of a teaching capacity, doing something to help. I've always believed that regardless of what, where we are, who we are in the world, our, our job is to serve. I, I mean, yeah. I have a strong faith in God. I, I believe that, you know, to serve your God, to serve your family, to serve your fellow man, whoever it is, that should be your role in life uh, with your unique gifts and talents. And so I would, yep. I would do that in some way. When I die, when I die, where I die, how I die, way above my pay grade. Don't spend a lot of time worrying about it. Have already planned my funeral because of my cancer. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I probably won't get the opportunity to retire. And that's okay. I, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Dying doesn't scare me nearly as much because I found my purpose in life and I lived it. Yes. And there's going to be a time when it's going to be time to move on. And when that happens, hopefully I'll be in a place where, okay, God, you know, do with what do with me what you Come want get me yeah i'm ready to go yeah here we go exactly um what do you enjoy so much about teaching because you've mentioned it a few times but uh what is it about teaching that is something that you just want to do so much I, I i think kids young people i mean not just kids but even you know young adults they're they're so much like sponges they're so so much in a lot of ways looking for somebody that they can trust to sort of set oh, them on the right path. Yes, I mean, I can't live yes. your life for you. You have to live a life that's true to you, but, but I can give you some things that I believe will help you be however you define mm. success in life. And, and if I can impart that, that kind of, like you say, I, I've done a lot of things in my life, you know, a lot. I've worked with, you know, rich people. I've been involved in poor people. I've seen the ugly side of life. I've seen the great side of life. So I've seen a lot. I have a lot of things that I believe are important to pass on. You can take them or leave them. You like them. You don't like them. Yep. Okay, that's fine. But these are things that I think will help you. And again, I have no agenda. I, and I, and again, I don't have all the answers. I mean, I don't know everything, but these things have worked for me. And I'd like to be able to pass them on to people in the hope that maybe they could work for them at some point in time. Yeah, you said something very important. They're looking for people that they trust. Yeah. Because they don't always trust the teachers that they have in their classrooms. Right. And that's sad, but they're always looking. They are looking for it. It may not look like it with a lot of them, 
but they're always looking for it. And like you, I'm just like, I've done a bunch of different things. So whatever I can do to pass it on. And you talked about meeting these uh, as an investigator or as a, a hostage negotiator, meeting people in the mud. Man, that is so true in, in every sense of building relationships with people. You got to meet them. And I'm sure you've heard this a ton of times, being the man of faith, you got to meet them where they are. And so sometimes that's in the streets. uh, Sometimes that's in the classroom and wherever that may be. Now uh, I have one, I have a one more thing that I want to do and it's my three what's and I ask three questions that start with what, or I have what in them actually. And then after that, I want you to talk about your book and I want you to talk about where people can find you. So the first what is what's an opinion you have in your field that will be considered unpopular? I I think one of the four truths that I have about embracing pain, I mean, we are... Mm -hmm. We are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort. That's just the way we're, we don't like it. We don't want to deal with it. I mean, people sometimes go to the excess. I mean, they drink too much or they get involved in drugs or they engage in behavior that's not good for them because of pain in some way. And what I say is don't run from pain. Do just the opposite. Take that pain, flip it inside, burn it as fuel, use it as energy to make you a stronger and more resolute individual. And, and that's so foreign to what, to just how we're wired and what people want to do. So I, I get some brushback from people occasionally when, when I say that, because they're like, no, I don't, I don't want to have to deal with pain in my life. I'm like, well, pain is inevitable in all our lives. Exactly. Suffering, exactly. suffering's optional. Suffering's what you do with that pain. Do you take it <sighs> and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and that's want others so to feel good. sorry for you? It's your choice. Man, that's so good. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. I love that. I got to make sure we post that on the social media. Well, okay. You know, in I, full disclosure, that's yeah. not mine. I think Buddha said that or the Dalai Lama said it and some Japanese hey. guy. I, I mean, a lot of people have said it. I don't know who you can attribute it to. So, I mean, I think it's important. So I use it. At this point, we're saying it now. So we're just there you, keeping go. It you and me. That's right. And that's definitely going to get out there because it's when you think about it, you're like, oh, because we don't get to choose. Like my friend just had a, a dang on seizure. Like who knows? And that doesn't even count the countless people that are, that are connected, that are worried, that are, that are facing mental and emotional pain. Right. Obviously right now, what he'll have to go through, hopefully after everything has happened, you know, that those things we didn't choose, but now we get to choose how we then deal with them next. So our next what, here we go. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, which is author, motivational speaker, wonderful human being, what would you be doing? I'd like to say I'd be coaching. I I, I don't, you know, I love coaching again for the same reason I talked about being a teacher, you know, because you can mold young people. The thing I hate about coaching was the parents. You know, the parents were, it's like, look, let me do my job. I used to say in the parent meetings, look, if you don't come here and tell me how to be a coach, because I had more experience playing and coaching than any of those parents did. I won't go to your job and tell you how to be an accountant or an engineer or a lawyer. So, you know, don't tell me how to do my job. And that that's the frustrating thing, because if you think about it as a coach, you're teaching and, and you're coaching 
for the team. And now that player, individual player, goes home and they're sitting at the dinner table, you know, and mom and dad is saying, oh, Coach Tucker's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You should be playing mm-hmm. over, you know, that player or whatever. That's a hard thing to overcome when I have you for two hours at practice every day. Right. And the rest of the time, you're either in school or with your family. It, it, that's a hard thing to deal with. So the parents would be. Man. And you probably know oh, this man. as a coach. I mean, you probably <laughs> feel the same way. <laughs> quick story. Quick story. Okay. And I, I've since. I guess you would say mended mended fences with this player. I don't know. I guess we we never even talked about it after it went down. But I was coaching junior a junior varsity game, okay, and I'm on the sidelines home game, and the girl does something. Uh, I take her out, and next thing I know, I look up, and the parent is like right behind me right behind the bench my first thought is how did you even get over here where's the administrator where's the head coach where is somebody like nobody saw this happening and obviously things happen you know a lot sometimes parents will come and give their kids some Gatorade or whatever but I'm like yo I'm in the middle of a game and his parents like, well what did she do this time why is she not in the game I'm like what? So I'm like, you know, I, I, re- I think I reply something like, you know, get out of here. Like, I don't have time to talk to you. I'm in the middle of a game, something like that. But I just couldn't believe the audacity of a parent to walk out of the stands through the baseline and behind the, and, and I mean, literally a foot behind me, right behind where all the chairs I lined up. And, and so from there, I was just kid? like, wow. Yeah. Wow. What are you teaching that kid? You're teaching that kid that when life gets tough and, you know, after they graduate from college and they're out in the business world, mom and dad are going to solve their problems. You oh, got to let kids fail so that kids yes. can figure out how to solve their own problems. And that's what team sports does. And I used to yes. tell that to the parents. It's like, look, I, I love your kids. I'll do anything to make them successful. I'm not here to look, you know, to make them fail. I want them to be successful. Yes. But you can't undermine me at every chance you get. I got news for you. There are better players on the team than your, than your daughter. And, and, and I'm not playing favorites. My job is not to make your daughter feel happy. My job is to develop a competitive program here at the school. Yes. And I'll do that to the best of my ability. And, yep. and if your daughter's on the team, she's good enough that I think she can help us. Here. Otherwise, I would have cut her. So yeah. don't see like, you know, I you're better than so-and-so and you should be playing over that because all that does is make the kid upset. And then they go to practice and they take that out on me and their, their teammates. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they're just not better. Right. <laughs> they're not that good. Yeah. Most of the time when you go, oh, they are better. It's like, ah, well, I'm, I'm in practice and trust me, if they were better, they'd be playing more. I right. want to win or there's always something. That's why like, I don't know how much NBA or, or sports you watch now, but when people are like, well, why isn't this person in the game? Or why isn't that person in the game? I'm like, well, as a coach, man, you want to win and you're going to try to play the people that give you a chance to win. So if this person is so much better, trust me, they will be in the game right. or there's some something socially or mentally with the team that this person brings that may be a negative. Like, okay, yeah, you're good, but you're taking away from the whole here of what we have with something that's 
not basketball or not skill related. And sometimes that's that's worse. That can be way worse, you know, drag a talented team down because of the mindset. It, it is. And, and I mean, and you know this as a coach, good teams are made during the season. Good players are made in the offseason. So, yep. you know, I, I, what did you do in the summer? Oh, you didn't do anything? Yep. Then don't sit here and tell me that you should be playing. You didn't do anything last summer. Exactly. You know what? So I'm going to play the kids who got out and played in the summer leagues, who lifted the weights, who, you know, went running and did all that kind of stuff because they deserve it. If you didn't do anything, don't sit here and tell me how great you are. Yeah. And, and also, like, in basketball, it is very easy to see. There is no hiding. Yeah. When you get that ball in your hands, either you can handle it or you can't. Right. When you shoot that ball, and, and a lot of times, they don't even have to have a ball. In, they could just shoot it. You go, okay, there's something. Or there's absolutely nothing right. there. Like, it's very, there's no hiding in basketball, right. which is what we both coach. There's no hiding. So. Right. Everybody can see that your your daughter's a turnover machine. So we're gonna exactly. get, we're gonna get off of that and we're gonna get to our last what? Okay. Okay. What advice? And this is what advice would you give to someone in high school? Like if I were to take this back to my kids and play it for them, what advice would you give them? Um, I'd say first of all, be patient. You know, life is going to come at you. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't know nearly as much as you think you do. Be patient and life will come to you. Secondly, I'd say be humble. You don't know everything. Um, there was a great book I read a couple of years ago called Legacy. If you haven't read it, I think you'd love it, especially as a coach. It's about mm-hmm. the New Zealand national rugby team, who by all yeah. intents and purposes is the most successful sports franchise in any sport in any country of all times. And I took four pages of notes when I was reading the book. And one of the things I found interesting was here is this premier, you know, professional team. You and I don't know anything about rugby, but if if when they're bringing somebody on, you would think they would bring somebody on who's technically competent. I'm very good at what I do. And I'm not and I'm Mm -hmm. not saying they don't. But the two things they look for when they're bringing a player on are one character. What kind of person are you? And two humility. And I think back on my career, how many times did I go into an interview for a job where it's like, boy, I better have all the answers. What they're saying is we don't expect you to have all the answers. You individually won't have the answers. Us collectively will figure out the answers. So humility, I'd say, would be another thing. And then I think I'd say the last thing you should do is work on your character. You know, be, be a person of good character. You know, know what you stand for, understand your values, know what they are and know what you're willing to live with and and live without. And I guess one more thing I'd add, be a lifelong learner. Don't just go to school and then say, I'm done learning. You know, be a lifelong learner. Be curious. Get out there. Ask questions. Why are we doing this? How are we doing this? What, What are we doing this for? Ask those questions. You'll have a much happier life and a much more successful life. Wow. I mean, that's a great place to put a pin in it. Uh, until the next time we do this, obviously, uh, plug your socials. Where can people find you? What's the website? Talk about your books, whatever you got. Yeah, uh, the, the book I, I mentioned, Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon Extraordinary Life. You can get it anywhere. You can get a book online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple iBooks, however you do that. I have a website called Motivational Check. Uh, every day I put up a new thought for the day. And with that thought comes a a question about maybe how you can apply that thought in your life. 
On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is usually a video or a story that I found that's maybe a little bit longer. Uh, I have recommendations for videos on there, recommendations for books. Uh, books the podcasts yes. that I've been on are on there as well. You can also leave me a message uh, on that, and it's motivationalcheck.com. There also my social media links are also on Motivational Check. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you, Mr. Terry Tucker, for coming on to episode 45. This was awesome. It was amazing. Well, Tony, thanks for having me. I mean, I always say it's, it's nice people like you who allow me to come on and between our conversation, hopefully make a positive difference in somebody's life. And if we do, today's been a good day. Yep. I mean, that's, that's all it's about. Uh, I plug all this stuff with my kids too. So that's, that's kind of where that last question came from me. Yeah. I'm always, like you said, always tinkering. I was trying to get better. How can we improve? I'm like, I could show this to my kids and then that may be able to create some dialogue or put them onto motivational check where they maybe visit every Monday and, you know, every week and looking for those quotes and stuff. So thank you for coming on. Um, this is the Living Numbers Podcast, episode 45. Make sure you guys go follow uh, me at underscore Tony Rambles underscore on TikTok and Instagram. You can email the show, onetonyrambles at gmail.com. And of course, everyone, make sure you go check out Mr. Tucker in all of the podcasts. He's been on so many different podcasts. Like, it's so much stuff out there with all the great stuff. And you go find his book, uh, motivationalcheck.com. I think that's a good one.